Today we come to two final people in the Christmas story that have always impacted me in a way. Um, that like Elizabeth and Zechariah, who we talked about last week, are wildly overlooked. But even more so than them, who, despite not making their way into our Christmas cards and live nativities and the iconography and imagery of what we think of as Christmas time, despite Elizabeth and Zechariah, who get 51 out of 120 verses in the Christmas story, we come to two today that get barely that. Almost a sentence in passing. This smidgen at the end of the events, but I would say no less significant to the plans and purposes of God and his spirit and what he's doing among the people in the Christmas story. Jesus and Mary and Joseph, of course, but those who surround them, those who are impacted by them and impacting them at the same time. Two people I want to mention today whose names you might not even know. Simeon and Anna. Have you ever heard of them? Eh, maybe, some, some not. But even if you've heard of them, could you say really much about them? Are they notable to you? I mean, do you, do you have your kids dress up like Simeon and Anna for the <laughs> Christmas pageant, you know? I mean, do you have them in your precious moments nativity? You know what I'm saying here, right? They're kind of off the grid. So little is known about either of them. Both of them get at most a few verses in the Christmas story, but the Spirit of God is alive in each of them. And through each of them does something powerful, and that's what we're going to look at today. So as we've been doing, let's ground ourselves in the story. Let me read to you today who these people are. Let you hear it for yourself off the page of the Christmas story, as you'll find it in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 in the New Testament. Here's what it says. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was given the name of Jesus, the name the angel had been given him before he had been conceived. So Jesus is born, and now it's eight days later. Or better put, seven days later, but on the eighth day. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So we, here we have Mary and Joseph and they find themselves in Bethlehem. It's the ancestral home of Joseph because he is of the line of that once great king, David. But we know from the story, if you read between the lines, that unlike their once great ancestor of power and wealth and grandeur, that they're poor. Because in the law of the Lord, it's, it's decreed that every firstborn belongs to the Lord. 
Every firstborn is to be consecrated to the Lord through a series of sacrifices in rituals as the law of Moses lays out. And according to one's wealth, the nature of the sacrifice would be dictated. And the poorest of the poor would only be called to bring a couple of small birds, a couple of young doves or pigeons. And so as adherence to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph are doing what every Israelite family would do, what every Jewish family would do. They have their firstborn, a son. And on the eighth day, the day when he is to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, they bring him to Jerusalem to offer the proper sacrifices at the temple. In their case, just what they could afford, a couple of pigeons or doves. And it says that there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And so now we meet him. And he was righteous and devout. And he was waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke goes on, he writes, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. Because I've seen it. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now it says that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too. Now there was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, because that clarifies everything for you, <laughs> who was of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything that the law of the Lord required, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And that 
is all we know. That's the story of Simeon. That is the story of Anna. And that is the story of how they interact with Jesus and Mary and Joseph at the time of Jesus' birth. And even though there's so little that's actually said about them, I think there's enough there to give us some things to go with. So let's profile them briefly. Both seem to be marked by the fact that God and the community of God were the center of their life. Both were rooted in the temple of the Lord and seemed to devote their time with that as the center of their, uh, of their very being. How did the story go? It says this. It says that Simeon was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was upon him and that he was waiting. He was waiting because God said something to him. God let him know that he would not die until he saw the hope that God was going to bring, that was going to bring out the promises that had been given to Israel and the consolation and relief that God had promised his people. And it seems that he revolved his life around that. That stood at the center of what defined him and drove him and anchored his sense of identity, if you will, his, his, his being. Anna is similar. We're told that she's old. At least 84, depending on how you read the passage. And that she would spend her days at the temple, fasting and praying. She reminds me, actually, of so many widows, I know, who on losing their husband, the love of their life, with kids maybe who live out of area and far, find their connection, dare I say purpose, meaning hope and support from the people of God. And we have this once young woman, only married seven years, now widowed, now taking up virtual residence at the temple, praying, fasting, and seeking God. For both of these people, both Simeon and Anna, it seemed as though God defined them. They didn't seem to have position. I don't get the sense that either were prominent. Something in my heart tells me that if they were to walk into fellowship of faith, we wouldn't even notice them. People who probably stayed somewhat behind the scenes, 
Oh, you would know them because they were always there, but not because they looked to take a prominent place, but people whom the Spirit of God was upon. Have you known people like this? People that you've met that their hearts are just devout. They're devoted to God. There seems to be a spirit upon them, a spirit that manifests itself in different ways as they give themselves with depth and sincerity to the work of God, people for whom God is the definition of their being. This, to me, is a glimpse into the lives of Simeon and Anna in the Christmas story. They lived in the hope and the presence of God and a dependency on his spirit. They trust God. That's called faith. And it dictates and drives how they live. So naturally, what we see in the Christmas story is that they respond accordingly with worship, with praise, with prophesying, with witnessing. And what I love about the story of Simeon and Anna is that these easily forgotten two who were probably overlooked even in their own day, yet to these two, God speaks. God speaks to them. And God speaks through them. It's a strong and ever-living reminder to me that God speaks to the least of these. I've shared this passage with you before. It's worth noting again, as the Bible typically is. Paul will phrase it this way in 1 Corinthians. That God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That he chose the Simeons and the Annas, the lowly and the despised, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. Because it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of his spirit that you are in Christ Jesus. Because of what he is doing that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. God chooses the lowly, the weak, the forgotten, and the despised. Because he loves them and they matter to him. And he values them in the way that the world does not. But also as a testimony to others who are prominent and high and lofty. That all that we are and all who we are is ultimately dependent on God. That God chose Simeon and Anna to speak to Jesus. That God chose Simeon and Anna to speak to Mary that God uses the least of these and the least of you as a witness and a testimony 
that all that we are and all that we do is ultimately dependent on God and not on our own strength, position, or abilities. What is God speaking to you? To you here today, Anna. To you here today, Simeon. To those of you here today who are the least of these, the lowly, the despised, the weak, and the foolish, never underestimate the power of what God is looking to do and say to you. Never underestimate that that is the pattern of God that we see and here in the story, even with Simeon and Anna. And this is a story that you see stretching throughout the Bible. I think of the prophets of old, prophets like Amos, who stands before kings and when questioned says, look, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm a shepherd and I tend sycamore fig trees. I don't know what that means. But it doesn't sound like a career path I would choose. And yet God told me to come and to speak because God uses the least of these. I think of a man like Moses, a refugee in exile, whom God selects after 40 years of his life being thrown away, who was once at the highest but now is at the lowest, wandering as an old man in the wilderness, and God says, I'm picking you. And he says, how can you use me? For I am slow of speech. Never underestimate what God can say to you. I think of Jesus selecting his disciples, walking by the shore of the Sea of Galilee and coming along ordinary men. I think of the crowds that follow him, that become his disciples, the women that, the women that witness what he does at the tomb. Not selecting the religious elite, but the everyday person, otherwise forgotten. I think of Numbers chapter 24 and the prophet Balaam where the spirit of God comes across and you've got to do the King James version, his ass who turns around and starts talking to him with prophetic utterances. And I'll tell you this, if God can speak through Balaam's ass, what can God do through you? <laughs> Don't underestimate it for a moment. <laughs> the power of what God can say to you. And it's not just what God will say to you because God doesn't just speak to the least of these. God speaks through the least of these. Let's look at the story of Simeon and Anna one more time and just see how God spoke through them. Here's Simeon. It says he was moved by the Spirit and moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, according to the custom, Simeon did what every first-time mother hates. Give me that baby. <laughs> and he takes him up in his arms and he praises God because that's what you do when God is at the center of your being. You respond in praise and look at what he says, Lord, just like you promised, Oh, I can go in peace. I've 
seen it, God, your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of the people Israel. It goes on, it says that they marveled at what was said about them, that through the words of Simeon, Mary and Joseph stood in awe. Don't fast forward. Let that sit in. These are two people that saw angels. Angels literally appeared to each of them on separate occasions, and they witnessed the miraculous birth of a child. And through the least of these, they stand in wonder and awe. Through the simple man who is just simply devout to God, whose life was rooted in God and who responded in faith, Mary and Joseph marvel at what he says. Oh, what marvelous words is God looking to speak through you? Will you unleash the spirit? Will you get out of your own way? Will you respond in faith? No matter how lowly and despised you might be, will you let God speak through you and bring wonder and awe to those around? Because I tell you, he will. He will, and you might not see it before your eyes, but he will. What does God need to say through you? Simeon tells Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken again so that the thought of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's interesting to me that this may be the first time that Mary actually had to come to terms with how her son would save Israel and people from their sins. The angel's message had nothing like this. No, your son will be called son of the most high. He will reign on his father David's throne, establishing and upholding it forever. It's been all positive, but through this man, Simeon, a word of preparation. I would call it warning, but warning would seem to say that you would have to stave off to a different path, but, but a word of perspective. And I wonder how often Mary, in those later years, had to go back to what Simeon had once said, knowing that what was happening to her son was not accident knowing that it wasn't random, but through the mouth of a simple one, starting to steal herself already for the burden and the pain of what they would come to endure. Never underestimate the power and the preparation that God is seeking to bring through you. Or Anna, this woman who never left the temple, but spent her days in worship, her nights too, moved by the power, majesty, goodness, and grace of God, and even when not emotionally moved, committed knowing that all things are because of God and it is right to give him glory and praise. In living a life in pursuit of him with fasting and prayer. 
and seeing what was happening, coming up all the same. None of this, oh, well, he's got it covered. None of this, I'm off the hook because someone took care of it. No, responding as well when God is on the move, knowing that God has something to say through me too. And giving thanks to God and speaking about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. What witness is God looking to bring through you? Never underestimate the power of it, not for an instant. Never back away from that movement of the Spirit with excuses like, I'm a person slow of speech. I'm just a shepherd or as tender of sycamore fig trees. I'm just an ass. No, never underestimate the witness God is looking to bring through you and the power of what that can mean even among the Jesuses and Marys and Josephs of this world and all who come into their gravitational orbit and the hope of what God is looking to bring. All this December, I've just been putting a question on the board. Today, there's three, and I couldn't boil it down to one. All three struck me as pertinent, and I want to put it right there so you can Sink your teeth into it today. I want to ask you this. What is God's spirit revealing to you? I don't care how insignificant or forgotten you might be. What is God's spirit revealing to you? Pay attention to that. Ask yourself that. Don't ignore that. Don't let circumstance in life keep you from this ever important question because I tell you this, the spirit is on the move. Jesus himself said it. It's good that I leave you, Jesus said. Otherwise, the spirit would not come. No, and he poured him out. And he pours him out still. What is the spirit of God revealing to you? And just as important, what are you going to do about it? How will you respond? It's wonderful, isn't it, when we get insight, enlightenment, conviction, impact from the Spirit of God. Isn't it just like a high, unlike anything imaginable? For those of you who have never experienced it, seek God in it. Seek God in it, and you'll know what I mean. But it isn't enough just to keep it for our own well-being. How will you respond to what God is showing you? Because he wants you to act on it. To live with it. To put it into action. Even if that means simply proclaiming it out, worshiping heart and soul, and sharing it with who will ever listen in ears reach. What words of hope and blessing do you need to put out there that God is showing you that others need to hear? These questions, this is the way of 
Simeon and Anna, but more so, it is the way of anyone who responds to God in faith. Because from cover to cover, the response of faith will always lead to prayer and to worship, to witness and to proclamation, to prophecy. It leads to taking the joy, the meaning, and the depth and wisdom of what God is showing you for a world and people around in need. Even you, Anna, and even you, Simeon, who sit here and listen here today. You know, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Anyone who comes to me will have the light of light. But you know, Jesus also says this elsewhere. You are the light of the world. And through you, Jesus' light is meant to shine into darkness. And darkness, it can't overcome it. Respond to God in faith and see what light he will show to you and bring through you. The Spirit's on the move among the people of the Christmas story. The Christmas story that we continue to live out today.